Well, hey, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show on the Planet Earth, the John Campbell Show podcast. Can we from right here in my quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I'm, of course, your host, John Campion. It is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. Not just giving you our opinions, but also giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether the same or they're completely different from the NARS. Uh, you might notice that uh, today's The John Cape Show is being done from my office. That's because I need to run to sh the show today. Our, um, uh, of course, our, our uh, crew captain, Jonathan Voiko, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a pet guy. I've had pets my whole life, particularly dogs. And uh, last night, uh, John Voiko's family's dog that they've had for 13 years passed away. And so, you know, I, Jonathan texted us last night and said, I think I might need the day off tomorrow. And I'm like, I, I, I totally get it, man. Like dogs, um, pets, I'll even say for you cat people, uh, but, but pets become a part of your family, you know, especially ones that have been around for over a decade. And we're very, very sad to hear that. So I am going to forgive any technical problems today because I'm going to try to run the show and do the show at the same time today. And, uh, but I'm not alone. I'm very lucky that I've got the delightful Chris Carr here with me today. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, our hearts go out to Jonathan. I mean, Gimli's Gimli's going to be 13 this year too, or is 13. He's going to be 14 this year. So I just, I feel so, so bad for his family. And I know that that dog was so loved and had the best life while she was around. Yeah. So uh, our thoughts are of course with, uh, with Jonathan today. So yeah. guys, listen, We've got a number of things to discuss here today. First, we're going to go through a bunch of topics that we've predetermined. We're going to get to those in just a second. Then at the end of the show, we're going to take your live comments and questions. If you guys have a topic, comment, question, observation, whatever you'd like to make, go ahead and use the Super Chat feature in the live chat, and we will get to those. A bunch of you have already sent in a whole ton of them. We will get to those near the last part of the show, and we will read them off, provided they're appropriate to be read off on our show, of course. All right, guys. With that down, let's get started with this, shall we? There's been some drama going on with uh, Warner Brothers axing some projects. And one of the more recent ones that we found out about was the upcoming Acme, or sorry, Coyote versus Acme. Of course, it was going to be about, it was based on an article that was done, but the Wiley Coyote finally getting fed up with none of his products that he's ordered from Acme working and helping him kill that Roadrunner. Well, apparently the movie was uh, pretty much completed. They'd done some test screenings of it. Apparently the test screenings were really good. And then they pulled the plug on the movie, believing that they couldn't make back their budget. Now, some of you may remember that uh, a while ago, it became it then got announced that Warner Brothers was going to let them shop it around and see if another studio would pick it up. There was even some rumblings of a couple of studios having some interest. Unfortunately, weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks have passed with no news of a deal getting done, and now it's sounding like there's not going to be a deal. Because according to a new report... There's nobody willing to pay the price tag for it. Uh, this comes to us from the folks over at The Verge who write the following. The movie itself reportedly cost upwards of $75 million to make. Uh, that's Coyote versus Acme. The industry and, and industry analysts say that Warner could be in a position to benefit about $40 million in tax breaks if they write it down as a complete loss. 
But according to sources, the studio wasn't willing to part with the movie to a competitor for that same $40 million, though, asking rather for an amount which would represent a break-even position for the studio of $75 million. Apparently, no buyer has been found willing to foot the bill. So, basically speaking... Warner Brothers said, okay, we're going to, we're, we don't think this movie's going to make any money. And listen, to be fair, until they announced they canceled it, nobody was talking about this movie. Like, let's just be clear. Let's not pretend anything here. Nobody was talking about this movie. Nobody ever mentioned this film as one of their most anticipated films coming up and stuff like this. I was intrigued by it. We talked about it on our show, but it is what it is. So Warner Brothers thought, you know what? This thing's not going to make any money in theaters. So if we just kill it, our tax breaks for it will at least recoup us $40 million. Then a lot of people said, give somebody else a chance to do it. So they put it open. But apparently the price tag they were asking for, Chris, was a number that would represent them breaking even. They weren't even looking for profit. They were just like, tell you what, if another studio wants to put up what we put up, 70 to $75 million, we'll let you take it. But we're not going to let you take it for less than that because then there's no benefit to us rather than just hand-gifting something to a competitor, which apparently they were not willing to do. Yeah. Uh, now, Paramount even said they were going to do a theatrical release of it, but they weren't willing to give any points on a theatrical release back to Warner Brothers so it didn't benefit <laughs> Warner Brothers in any way, shape, or form. Chris, we've, we've been following this for a little while now, not just as an individual story, but kind of as a trend We've been seeing with studios because now Paramount is removing programming. Disney Plus is removing programming. Uh, Netflix, well, Netflix removes programs all the time. All the time. <laughs> uh, Disney Plus, is. Uh, this is a kind of a thing. What did you make of the story that we just got? Honestly, it's kind of heartbreaking to me because we have seen so many different studios gutting stuff. But I understand at the end of the day, it is the entertainment business. I can talk ad nauseum about how it's all about the art, how it's all about the artistry. But at the end of the day, it is something that needs to make money. So it's a it's a big bummer. And I think that this is in a very meta way. It's a really great example of the sunk fallacy. Wiley Coyote spent so much money trying to get this Roadrunner so he could eat it. And he could have just used that money for food, right? <laughs> and we kind of have this here where so much money went into this film and apparently a lot of love. You know, Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, they got to see this and they said it was a fabulous movie talking about how this had a lot of heart, went into kind of the existentialism of Wile E. Coyote, was a, a, an all-time great moment for the character. And Warner Brothers just kept trying to get back that cost, get back that sunk cost. It goes to show you too how the kind of streaming model just really doesn't work when you put so much money into something and then realize, oh, I'm not going to make money from this. You got to think about your ROI. And I think that's been one of the biggest issues with these streaming services coming up with different movies or coming up with things that they thought were going to go to streaming. Then maybe we're going to do a theatrical release or maybe they do a split kind of thing where they do day and date. You got to think about your ROI, your return on investment. And unfortunately, Coyote versus Acme is a victim of that because it's a great New Yorker story. It's a really funny idea. I really wish somebody picked it up because I love that little dude. The concept, I think, is great. The yeah. concept of it is great. I love it. I, I've heard some analysts talk about or some other online pundits mention that fact that there, there's a generation of people right now who don't even know. Well, everybody knows who Wiley Coyote is, but didn't watch 
Roadrunner yeah. growing up. Um, there was also there's the, there's also a question here of vindication, maybe. The vindication being like Warner Brothers is saying, hey, we don't think this movie can make money. We don't think it can make money. And we put up $75 million to make this movie. And we don't think it can make money. And then when they put it on the open market for any other studio or streamer to step up and say, yeah, we'll take on the $75 million it took to make the movie. We'll take that on and we believe it can make money. Nobody has stepped up. So this is almost in a way kind of vindication for Warner Brothers saying, see, nobody else out there thinks they can profit from this movie with that $75 million price tag that we paid that got greenlit by the previous administration who ran AT&T. And we don't think there's money to be made. Now, somebody in the live chat was saying, just release the movie. But the problem is, if you release the movie, you now have to ramp up a 20 to 30 to $40 million ad campaign. And that's a modest one for a major theatrical release. Sure. So you got to spend another 20, 30, $40 million on top of that. And you don't get that $40 million tax break. So now you're talking about an $80 million swing. Nobody watching this show right now would be stupid enough to do that. And it just mathematically doesn't make sense. Well, um, I feel like when you're making a movie too, it's easy to be putting money down on something as it's happening. Yeah. That's why budgets balloon so much. It's so easy to say, oh yeah, we've got a $45 million budget. Oh, but we need this. Oh, and we have to reshoot this. And actually we lost an actor and we're going to get somebody else who has a higher price tag. All of those things then snowball into a bigger budget. The ask of spending $75 up, $75 billion, million up front, that's a, a much bigger ask than, oh, hey, we're going to greenlight a project. You see that price tag up front, you're going to get sticker shock. Yeah, I mean, look, in an ideal world, this movie gets released in theaters and Warner Brothers is able to make money. But <clears throat> I And listen, it's not over yet. Somebody else could still come forward if some studio believes that they can pay the 70 to $75 million it took to make this movie and they believe they can make a profit from it. It's still there. I mean, they haven't officially killed it yet. Somebody else could step up. But, um, and Warner Brothers is there saying, listen, if somebody wants to give us 70 to $75 million and we just break even, we'll take it. Give it to us. But nobody wants to take it on and nobody wants to pay for it. Question is for you guys. What do you think is going to happen here? Do you think at some point somebody will step up and actually say, yeah, we think this movie can work and we think it's worth putting in theaters? I would love to see this movie, to be honest with you, because unlike some other people, I did grow up watching Roadrunner and Coyote, and I'd be very interested in seeing this film. What do you think, guys, is going to happen? Jump on down to the comments below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? There has been an ongoing drama, obviously, with uh, the Jonathan Majors situation, right? So Jonathan Majors was riding king of the world between all the awards accolades for Lovecraft Country. And, of course, he was going to be Kang, and he was great in that Creed movie. And then, of course, early last year, everybody heard the the accusations about assault and, and all that kind of stuff. Then a court trial happened. And he was found guilty of two of the four charges. And it should be noted, the two lesser charges, like not the, the, the more serious stuff, but he was found guilty of a couple things. And now they're waiting sentencing and he could be facing up to one year in jail. Now, we all know that he went on to lose his role as Kang, 
We know then that the studio behind his movie Magazine Dreams, I think that was the name of it, where he plays a bodybuilder, uh, dropped the film, and now they're waiting to see if somebody else will come along and pick it up. And the interesting thing about this Magazine Dreams film is that a lot of people thought this could be an awards contender. So there was some thought out there that even though he was found guilty, it was on the, the lesser of the charges, and... Maybe now, with all this behind him, he lost Kang. At some point, somebody will come along and pick up Magazine Dreams, and, and this film can get out and all that kind of stuff. Well, the New York Times just put out an article highlighting the fact that more ex-girlfriends of his are now coming forward, and some of his crew from Lovecraft Country are coming out talking about how difficult he was to work with on Lovecraft Country. This comes to us from the AV, who writes, The New York Times piece... Uh, focuses on two women, Emma Duncan and Maura Hooper, who were both in long-term romantic relationships with the now former Marvel star, both of whom said he was possessive and abusive, physically so, at least one of the women alleges. The Times also spoke to several women who worked on Majors' breakout project at the HBO series Lovecraft Country, which I loved that show, uh, who described incidents of unprofessional behavior from the star. Female staffers said they warned each other to keep their distance from majors on the show's set. Um, and some of the stuff sounded, in the article in, in Time, some of the stuff sounded eerily familiar to some of the stuff we heard from his uh, voicemail messages. Uh, one of the ex-girlfriends claimed that you know, he slammed her into mailboxes, and, and another claimed that he told her to kill herself, and... Um, again, some of the female staff on Lovecraft Country were saying, dude, now, Chris, all this comes at a very precarious time for majors because the court case is now behind him, right? He got acquitted on a couple of the more major things. There's a lot of people who watched the case and said, you know, he maybe shouldn't have even been convicted in the first place. So it, it looked to me, and I've said on our show, I think Majors will be in a position where he's going to suffer some consequences, and he has, and that'll go on for a bit. But I, I've said from ever since the court case is finished, I think at some point he might be able to rebuild his career. I think at some point another distributor will come along and pick up Magazine Dreams maybe. But now with New York Times writing these things, people from his own, like his own crews coming out, how bad is this for Jonathan Majors? And do you think, because ultimately the thing we care about here most is, is like what stuff comes out in theaters, what do we get to see, what don't we get to see, but how much of an impact, if any, do you think this will have on another distributor being willing to come in and pick up this movie, Magazine Dreams, with Jonathan Majors right now? How do you see this? I think it'll have a huge impact. We touched on this yesterday talking about Kevin Spacey. The court of public yeah. opinion matters. It really does. And we talked about that with Spacey's situation of, is he ready for a comeback? Are people ready for a comeback? Those are two different things. Of course, an actor always wants to get back in the limelight, get back to making movies, get back to getting their paycheck. But is the court of public opinion ready to see them again and contribute to their movies. Some of the things that are in this article, too, of what these women allege that majors have said or done is very concerning and very upsetting behavior. Everyone, including majors' legal team and everything, has agreed that majors is a particularly jealous person and has been very uh, possessive in relationships. But a lot of the other minutia here about how violent he could be, how threatening he could be, um, 
there's, I think, two of the women in this article mentioned getting shoved into mailboxes, which is too, too many. It's and it could be a case of he said, she said. It could be a case of people seeing how this case went and coming forward. We talked about that a little bit, too, of obviously I have a propensity for believing victims because coming forward is very difficult. But there's obviously cases where people take advantage of someone's stardom, take advantage of a different legal case and try to jump in on that. I don't know what to make of this. I don't know how to make heads or tails of it because there is just so much unknown data here, aside from some very alarming accusations. I think that it would make sense for other studios, particularly ones like Disney, who separated themselves from majors, to continue that separation at this point in time. Because like Jonathan so beautifully brought up yesterday, yeah, it doesn't matter if somebody is an asshole, unfortunately, at the end of the day. But if they're putting your cast, crew, all of the people who work for you in danger, in jeopardy, because they commit violent acts, that's a whole different story. And I don't know if someone even as talented as this gentleman is worth the gamble of that. Obviously, if these things aren't true, I hope things come to light and I hope that he gets to continue to work because as I said yesterday, he's a very talented actor, incredibly gifted. Watching season two of Loki, you totally understand why Marvel would want to position themselves around this actor. He's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, he's incredible. But talent can only do so much if it's also going to jeopardize your your other cast and crew and also if it ultimately means that people don't feel comfortable watching that person on screen. I mean, and then it comes down to another part of it, too, about like, even if you're not by, by working with them, you might be putting people in jeopardy. OK, well, that's one thing. But I, I haven't heard of any workplace problems. Sure, sure. But I mean, and, and I mentioned too on yesterday's show, I don't really care if somebody's a jerk. Somebody being a jerk has no, no, no bearing on whether or not they do a good job and produce a good product. I don't I don't care if somebody's a jerk, but. Even if that doesn't represent a danger to people on set, then you're going to start to have to ask questions. Will I be able to hire a crew that wants to work with this person? And that can become problematic, but I don't think that affects Magazine Dreams. It's just that, because you don't need anybody to work with them on Magazine Dreams. The movie's done, no. but is a distributor like a Paramount or a Warner Brothers or a, or a, a Universal or whatever going to be willing to come along and associate their name with him right now? And I just know what the answer to that is. It's no. <laughs> I think it's no, because like you brought up with with Coyote, you're putting in several million dollars for your your campaign, then having them go on press junkets and everything. All people are going to want to talk to Jonathan Majors about is this court case. Are these other women are the issues on Lovecraft County? Yep. Those things are all they're going to talk about. Not that movie. Yeah. And that was kind of the same thing with Ezra Miller, right? It's like the re Ezra Miller did no press for The Flash because they knew if they put Ezra Miller in front of press, the only thing the press are going to ask him about was all of his lunacy and all the idiotic things he had done. And if they try to, any studio that picks up Magazine Dream, if they want to do any kind of press for it, they're going to have to put Jonathan Majors out front. And if they put Jonathan Majors out front, all the press is going to want to ask him about is ex-girlfriends and possessive behavior yep. and violence and people not wanting to work with him. And that's just going to kill the movie. Look, I, I think you're right. You said the most bang on thing, which was, listen, if there's nothing to any of this, I hope that comes to light. And at some point he's able to move on with his career because he's got incredible talent. I think us as the audience would benefit greatly in our viewing, getting to see his talent on the screen. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this all turns out and transpires. All right, guys, with that down, we're going to still talk about a couple of big things here, including 
There's a brand new Game of Thrones prequel series coming from a guy who's writing the Batman movies with Matt Reeves. Also, the box office projections are out for Dune 2, and they're looking really good. Now, we're going to talk about that in a whole bunch more, but before we do, we're going to take a quick second here and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile, and the great folks over at Masterclass. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds aren't looking that great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. I've told you guys many times that after switching to Mint Mobile, I am spending less than a third on my cell bill than I used to with a major carrier. Say goodbye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All Mint plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And don't worry about having to change phones or numbers. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So guys, to get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash that's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bills to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's episode, Masterclass. Everyone, it's a new year. So picture that thing that you've always wanted to learn. Now, picture learning it from a person who's literally one of the best in the world at it. And that's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. Because Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, like I did, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or learn the art of storytelling from the man himself, Neil Gaiman. Masterclass has you covered. Because with Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one -on -one classes with the world's best. At Masterclass, there are over 200 classes to pick from, with new classes being added every month. And if you're a viewer of The John Campus Show, you probably love movie-making, storytelling, television. So you'd be totally interested in things like screenwriting from Aaron Sorkin, learn developing original TV series from Stranger things as the Duffer Brothers. Or maybe you like the music side of movies where well, you can learn film scoring from Hans Zimmer. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash campia. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash campia. Masterclass.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile and Masterclass for sponsoring today's episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? There is no denying that the Game of Thrones now franchise, because you got Game of Thrones, you got House of the Dragon. I mean, Game of Thrones is the most decorated, most award-winning, pop-culturally relevant show probably of all time. A lot of people were a little bit skeptical about House of the Dragon coming out, but it came out and people watched it and freaking loved it. It's awesome. Well, now they're talking about telling the story of Aegon I, who came over from Valeria and conquered Westeros, and they're calling it Aegon's Conquest. This comes to us from the folks over at The Hollywood Reporter who write the following. They said this. 
HBO's partnering with Matson Tomlin, who did work on Matt Reeves' The Batman and is co-writing his upcoming sequel, The Batman Part 2. He also wrote the Keanu Reeves action comic adaptation Berserker and an animated Terminator series, which he is also showrunning for Netflix. Aegon's Conquest is basically a direct prequel to the hit House of the Dragon, telling the story of the Targaryens' bloody and brutal conquest of Westeros. The story follows the invader Aegon Targaryen, who conquered the continent of Westeros with his sister wives. There's a phrase I never want to say again. Boo. With his sister wives, uh, uh, Rhaenys and Visenya. I hope I'm pronouncing those right. Anyway, uh, yeah, listen. This has awesomeness written all over it. And here's why. First of all, they have shown that the Game of Thrones series, again, won more Emmys than any other television show in history. House of the Dragon came along, blew everybody's expectations right out of the water. And now the idea of telling the story, because they've told the story briefly in the shows themselves, about the first who came over to Westeros and, and conquered the Westeros, uniting six of the seven, seven kingdoms. I think Dorne was the only one that they weren't able to, to conquer. And that whole story, I think the whole idea of bloody war conquest would be very tantalizing to a lot of audience members. I think there'd be a lot of people who'd be really down to seeing this and just to see this continue. Now, Chris, we've seen and heard about multiple Game of Thrones spinoffs. Of course, there was one that they even put like $30 million into and produced a pilot and... With Naomi Watts. With Naomi Watts, who was awesome. And then they She's killed amazing. that. And they said it wasn't good enough, so they killed it. But we keep hearing words about more and more. But this one to me sounds particularly intriguing, even with Sister Wives. Um, what do you think about the sound of this? Do you think this is something we're doing? Are they overstretching the Game of Thrones thing? Is there plenty of room for more? How do you see it? I mean, it's it's Game of Thrones meets Big Love. So what's more <laughs> perfect for HBO? I, I think it makes sense. Anything that is Game of Thrones adjacent makes sense to try to mine out of because it has been a pretty big cash cow for HBO. And House of the Dragon, not only... Was it, you know, a popular series breaking, you know, viewing records and things at the time? It was also critically well received. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, it's it's fantasy and sex and dragons. It was succession with dragons. It was an incredibly compelling show that I think they took some of the great things from Game of Thrones and learned from those and came to us with a really fantastic package series. So to continue exploring that makes sense to me. Now to go further back in the past to look at Aegon. I personally don't know how invested I am in that because I am not a prequels girly. Uh, that being said, House of the Dragon has been incredibly interesting to me. And they've done things that have surprised me and, and kept me interested because it was so far removed from Game of Thrones right. and everything that we see happen with the Targaryens. I need more of that to be really invested in this. And I say this, too, as somebody who hasn't read the books. For those of you in the comments who are watching this later, who've read the books, please, please tell me how exciting this is or how riveting this can be. Because, you know, obviously, historical fiction, historical drama, you can still have some really compelling stories there. And I understand that this is kind of that lens. As a Tolkien person, you know, so much of those stories are based in the history of the lore, 
right? So you can do something really cool and compelling here. The challenge, I think, is going to be making it so these characters you get incredibly invested in, even if you do know what their fate is. I need to be really compelled and man, I'm really upset that this sentence is about to come out of my mouth. I need to root for these sister wives and their husband to, to come out on Husband, top. brother. Husband, husband brother. brother. So la, 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 la. But that's, that's what they got to do. They just got to give me really compelling stories. Keep me in that throne room where I'm learning about all the different political machinations of these folks. That's how I'm going to keep invested in this. That's me personally, though. I mean, and, and look, the... the I was just talking about the whole tantalizing thing about like a a bloody conquest of Westeros with sure. dragons. But you're absolutely right. One of the things they have to do, though, is that intrigue, that interpersonal dynamic, the backstabbing politics, all that kind of stuff that we see in Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. That's got to be at the core, layered with a heavy dose of uh, dragon violence, and uh, brother-sister love, I suppose. Oh, man. I, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was the, it was Viseria. It was. It, it, that's, that's how they did it. That's All I can think rolled. of is that Pete Davidson opening SNL monologue. Don't be like, so <laughs> judgy. Um, all right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? My personal number one most anticipated movie of this year is Deadpool 3. Yeah, just because, you know, good Canadian kid, Ryan Gosling. I love the Deadpool movies. We've got Hugh Jackman coming in. But a close second to that is Dune 2. Uh, the first Dune did, I, I don't think it is physically possible to make a better representation of the book than that first movie did. And all the cast members are saying that this new movie far exceeds the first. And of course, remember the first one won more Academy Awards than any other film at the Academy Awards that year, ended up taking home six Academy Awards. So I'm, I'm dying to see this movie. I cannot wait to see it. But one of the questions has been, how well can it do? Because the first Dune, while it was fairly highly anticipated, it had its kneecaps busted open with a baseball bat by the idiots who were running Warner Brothers at the time who decided to do their day and date strategy. We're going to put it on HBO Max on the same day we put it out in theaters. And it, it, it suffered from that. Like it made about $40 million on its opening weekend, which is, I mean, really great compared. I mean, I'm sure Argyle would kill to have a $40 million opening weekend. Oof. And it went on to make about in the 400 millions at the box office. Again, a lot of movies would kill to make $400 million, but Dune, everybody knew Dune had higher potential than that. Well, According now to reports coming out, the early projections are coming out, and they're saying this movie could upwards of maybe double the box office hits that the first Dune did. This comes us from the folks over at Deadline who wrote the following. The most conservative sees the sequel to the Denis Villeneuve feature adaptation of Frank Herbert's 1965 novel between 65 million plus which is a 59% to 83% higher than the opening of Dune back in 2021. Dune Part 2 tickets went on sale January 26th, 34 days out. We hear that the pre-sales, get this, that the pre-sales out of the gate indicate that Dune Part 2 is pacing ahead 
of the advanced ticket sales of Universal's Oppenheimer, which makes sense given the fanboys are the first to buy. But several analysts believe that Dune Part 2 has a shot at $75 to $80 million plus for its opening weekend. Okay. <clears throat> this, if it comes, comes in at 65 would be a great opening weekend for Dune Part 2. But that's kind of where I saw it capping out. Like them deadline saying that that's only the most conservative number that they've got. Saying that they believe, there are analysts out there who believe that Dune is going to hit the 75 to $80 million um, mark on its opening weekend. To me, is kind of insane because that puts it in the same ballpark as Oppenheimer. And, you know, Oppenheimer went on to become almost a billion-dollar film, which was just crazy. Now, with Dune, you got the original cast coming back, but you're adding, you know, Austin Butler. You're adding Florence Pugh. You're adding Christopher Walken. You're adding, like, a whole bunch more pieces to the puzzle as well. And of course, everybody knows that the sequel is, is planned to be a much more action-orientated one than the first one, which really set up the depth of the lore and the mythology of Arrakis and, and the, the house wars and all that kind of stuff. So I, I'll tell you what, Chris, the, these numbers, and you know I'm really excited for this movie. I'm, I'm, it's my you second are. most anticipated film of the year. Yeah. But these numbers that they're throwing around are exceeding where I thought it would be. And those numbers may just get bigger as we go. What do you think about the projections that we're seeing right now? I'm I'm here for the bigger numbers, honestly. And I say this as somebody who does not share your enthusiasm. Franchise. Right. Yeah, and you're not alone. I, and I, I totally get it, you guys. I'm excited, honestly, to rewatch Dune and then go into this and have them closely connected because it was just a pacing thing for me, mostly. It's a stunning movie. But I think when I saw this, it was, well, yeah, obviously it's going to do better. We're not doing that a hideous day and date release because I also watch this from the comfort of my own home. And that also could be another reason why I didn't love the first part of Dune mm. because I didn't have that epic sound. I didn't have that huge screen and everything, but that obviously did a number on the box office when this movie could have performed really, really beautifully. Austin Butler looks so much like Voldemort in that moment. Whoa. It's so true. Whoa. <laughs> He's whispering about a cadaver. Uh, <laughs> I can't unsee it and it hurts my brain. I think this movie has the potential to do so well. One, people loved the first one for the most part. Most of you guys really, really enjoyed it. It was stunningly beautiful. It picked up so many award nominations. And now we have this stacked cast like you brought up. We have some really big names in there who are having huge, huge career moments right now. So I think even if you were like me and you weren't incredibly on board with the first one, you're still going to see the second one. And for those of you who loved the first one, You've already got your tickets or you're already getting excited. You got yeah. that popcorn bucket. You're ready to go. I look, I just think like knowing the story that I do and, and you know, for some people, the deeper, you know, Rob described it this way. And I, I agree with Rob. I think for some people, they went into Dune expecting a new kind of Star Wars, which is understandable and what it was was more of a deeper philosophical whatever. And I think it's not that people didn't get it. It's just that I think when we go into a movie, I think expecting one thing and then we get something completely different, I think that can throw us off kilter sometimes as sure. an audience. And now that I think people have kind of tuned their brains to the type of story that this is and they ramp up the payoff, they ramp up the action going into the final film, I, I think 
I mean, look, I, I haven't seen the movie, so I reserve the right to change this. But Chris, I'm going to call it right now. Dune wins Best Picture at the next Oscars. Oh, I mean, not the okay. one coming up shortly, but next year's Oscars. I'm going to call it right now. Dune Part Two will win Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Now, damn, I will completely recant that if I watch it and it sucks. <laughs> we, I have had this situation happen to me before, where a movie I thought that looked great ended up not being so great. But I'm going to call it right now. Dune's going to win Best Picture of the Year next year. It's going to wow. win all the awards. Sonic 3, baby. Where's Ray? Sonic 3 is going to win. <laughs> Ray's, uh, Ray's outside on the other side of the door over there uh, mod, uh, joining in the chat and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm sure yeah. Ray is is projecting uh, that it's going to be <laughs> Sonic 3. Sonic 3. Sonic 3 yeah. will, will win, uh, win Best Picture. Best Picture. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about all of this, about the whole idea of them uh, doing the box office projections that they're forecasting right now they're saying from 65 to 80 million dollars which nearly doubles what the first one did can it equal the opening of an oppenheimer can it get close to like an 800 million to 900 million dollar thing obviously a lot of this is going to depend on how good or not good the movie is but can i see how that goes jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys listen <clears throat> we're now going to move on to the most important part of the show which is to take your live questions. Now, we still have the Super Chats open for the next couple of minutes, and then we're going to shut them down. So if you've got a thought, theory, a question, observation, whatever, you can go ahead and throw that in the next couple of minutes. Um, but before we go to our next ad break, and before we let Chris go, had to ask Chris this. Did you see the WrestleMania press conference last night? No, I've been catching up on everything this morning because I got tagged in a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I have not seen it. But this morning before we shot the sh before we started the show, I was just in the live chat uh, with people and I saw a lot of people saying like, oh, my God, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is a better Black Adam than he was in Black Adam. And then Ray came in because, you know, Ray was was all about Cody should be getting the time. Ray came in and said, I asked him, so how was the press conference? He said, I think I've changed my mind. He said, like, everybody, I haven't seen myself, but everybody is saying they killed it. Actually, one of our viewers wrote, last night was the best storytelling WWE has ever done, and there wasn't a single wrestling match. Oh. So, I don't know. I mean, I didn't see it. I'm hyped to check this out. Cause, yeah, I haven't seen anything for myself. I just keep seeing the comments of, did you check this out? Did you see this thing? And I keep reading some of the things that happened. And, oh, I am much more excited than I was. Uh, so it's it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm going to have to go and watch myself. Anyway, Chris, uh, we're going to let you go. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Where can people uh, follow you online? Oh, so you can find me on Instagram. It's Chris Carr. Uh, I don't have a Twitter account anymore, but you can also find my studio, Speak Friends Studio, on Instagram as well. We actually have an animation class coming up Tuesday. So a four-week class, if you've ever wanted to work on learning different voices and things like that, sign up. Go to our website. Awesome having you as always, Chris. Thanks a lot for being here. And uh, guys, uh, make sure you come back and join us. You're going to see Chris again next week. But for now, before we move on and start taking your live questions, we're going to take a minute and thank another sponsor of today's episode. You know, a Super Bowl coming up, our friends at DraftKings. 
Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, DraftKings. DraftKings, the leader in fantasy sports, just dropped a brand new app, Pick 6. Pick 6 is the newest way for you to get in on the fantasy football action with DraftKings. New customers can make their first NFL picks and get up to 100 bucks in Pick 6 credits if those picks lose. All you got to do is pick between two and six NFL players and choose if they're going to have more or less of that stat. For example, will a player have more or less than 100 rushing yards or will a player have more or less than one touchdown. Track your lineup and compete against others for a shot at huge cash prizes. So download the DraftKings Pick 6 app now and sign up with the code CAMPIA. New customers can get up to 100 bucks back in Pick 6 credits if your first football pick set loses. That's code CAMPIA only on DraftKings Pick 6. One offer per new customer. First qualifying pick set winnings less entry fees must generate negative number. Max reward up to $100 equal to amount of negative number. Issued in non-withdrawable pick six credits valid for pick six use only. Expire after one year. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Valid only in states where DraftKings pick six operates. Pick six not available in all states, including but not limited to Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, please visit dkng.co slash pick six states. Void were prohibited. See terms and pick six And thank you to our friends at DraftKings for sponsoring today's episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, with that down, let's jump over to your live questions here, shall we? And we are going to get things started with, who are we starting with? We are starting with Kasinema, who writes, Zaslav is looking for his next victim as we speak. At this point, he should just grow a mustache to twirl when he cancels a movie for a tax write-off. Listen, I mean, here's the thing. He's doing the right thing. I mean, nobody likes to hear that, but he's there running a business. And, you know, remember, this was a movie that was greenlit under the old ownership of Warner Brothers. And Warner, and so now the current ownership of Warner Brothers is looking at the books. They saw how much money got invested into making it, and they're trying to see how can they, how can they make it make the most financial sense. And listen, they did what everybody wanted them to do. Um, they did what everybody wanted them to do. And to all the morons out there who are saying like, um, that, you know, oh, this is going to ruin. Guess what? Warner Brothers financial situation is stabilized. They've gone from trying to just cut costs to now they're looking to going into acquisitions and acquiring stuff. They've made all the right moves. They haven't been the popular moves, but often the unpopular opinion is, is to be lonely, but it's sometimes right. And listen, they did what everybody wanted them to do. Make it available for somebody else to pick up. And Warner Brothers said, okay, somebody else give us what we paid for it. You know, we're just looking to break even. If anybody else wants Coyote versus Acme, all you got, we're not even looking for profit. Just pay us what we have invested in it and you can have it. And guess how many people are willing to do that? Nobody, nobody has been willing to do it, proving that Warner Brothers is right. Now, if you had seven or eight studios then lining up and saying, we'll take it, we'll give you 80 million. No, 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 we'll take it. We'll give you 90 million. No, 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 we'll take it. We'll give you 101. Now, if that had happened, it would prove that Warner Brothers was wrong, right? In thinking that this movie wouldn't make any money in the theaters. It would have proved them wrong. But what's happened? Nobody likes to talk about these inconvenient truths. What happened? Nobody wants it. 
The only amount of money people are willing to put up for it is something that would still equate to Warner Brothers taking a loss. And Warner Brothers is like, listen, if we're going to take a loss, then we'll just take a loss, scrap the movie, and take the tax credit. But if you want the movie, if you believe in the movie and you want to pay what it costs, 70 to $75 million, we'll give it to you. And nobody wants it. Now, I want to see this movie. All right, just, just to be clear and on the record, I want to see this movie, but it's not my money, right? It's somebody else's money. Everybody's an expert on what other people should do with their money, aren't we? I include myself in this. We're all, all of us, and me included, we are all world-class experts on what somebody else should do with their money. But the reality is, listen, they put it up for sale. They say, does anybody want it? And everybody's crickets. Nope. Nobody? Bueller? Bueller? Nope. Nobody wants it. So, yeah, I, again, sorry to say, and I know it's the unpopular thing to say, but Warner Brothers is right. From a business point of view, and that's what this is, as Rob always says, it's not show friends, it's show business. From a business point of view, Warner Brothers is right. It's just the way it is. Anyway. Okay. Next up, we go to Chief, uh, Chef Rigo. Writes in, The Rock last night at the uh, WrestleMania press conference acted more Black Adam than he Somebody else said this too earlier. Acted more Black Adam than he did in the entire movie of Black Adam. Again, I have not seen it, but I am actually very, very curious. <clears throat> I'm curious to see it. I am curious to see that, that press conference. I mean, listen, I don't follow wrestling tightly anymore. I haven't for years. I will still watch WrestleMania every year. And I'll watch one or two special things. And every once in a while when Nigel McGuinness is doing something big with AEW, I'll watch that too. Because, you know, Nigel's dating Corey, has been dating her for years and stuff like that. Very cool guy. Uh, great magician too, by the way. Um, <clears throat> but I don't follow it enough. But I think I'll try to tune in and watch this, uh, watch this uh, press conference. All right. John Tennant who I believe this is your first super chat you've ever sent in. John, thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, John writes, movies coming this year with the word one in the title. Bob Marley, One Love, A Quiet Place Day One, Transformers One, Red One. Which one are you most excited for? Easily, that's A Quiet Place Day One. That's the one I am most excited about uh, because I absolutely love the other Quiet Place movies. I mean, the first Quiet Place movie in 2018, I thought that was the best film of the year. I thought the number one best film of the year in 2018 was A Quiet Place. I thought the second best film of the year <clears throat> was um, Black Klansman. And I thought the third best film of the year was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And uh, I just love this franchise, so I'm very, very excited for uh, Quiet Place Day One, John. That's my number one most anticipated film with the word one in the title. All right. <clears throat> Brandon writes, man, Halo Season 2 is pretty good so far. You know what? Uh, Ann and I went to the uh, uh, the Kobe Bryant night thing. I'm going to see if I got a picture I can pull up here for you guys. Um, we went to the Kobe Bryant. Oh, wait. Well, do I? Let me see if I've got it here. And so we did not have a chance last night to watch the... Um, um, can you guys can you guys see that? That's us at uh, at what was the Staples Center crypto. Anne was a it was an absolute psychotic um, Kobe Bryant 
fan. She loved Kobe Bryant, as a lot of people in Los Angeles did. <clears throat> and of course, last night at the LA Lakers game, was it was Kobe Day. They were unveiling the statue. The whole night was a big tribute to Kobe Bryant, so Anne wanted to be there. So we didn't get to see it. But I've been hearing from some people, Brandon, that actually Halo was actually pretty good. And listen, I actually didn't mind Halo Season 1. I know a lot of people poo-pooed on it. It's not enough like the game. I, I don't care. I just if you care if you're putting a good story in front of us. And I didn't think it was great. Don't get me wrong. I, I think it had its problems. But overall, I, I, was, I, I liked watching it. I liked watching it. I'm not going to say it was great. It wasn't great, but I liked watching it. But I'm hearing from a bunch of people like you, Brandon, saying the new season so far is pretty good. So I'm going to have to tune in and watch it myself. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Christopher Brickner who writes, An underrated screenwriter is Jeff Jeffrey Bohm. Died at 53, yet wrote Dead Zone, Inner Space, oh, wow. Uh, Funny Farm, Lost Boys, Lethal Weapons 2 and 3, and Indiana Jones 3. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'd never even heard his name. I, I think... Listen, before I started, I didn't pay attention to a lot of screenwriters before I started like the movie blog and stuff like that. But that's a pretty good resume, especially with the Lethal Weapons and Lost Boys. People are strange when you're right. I mean, that's how I, I know that song because of that movie. Um, and Indiana Jones 3, which is my personal favorite Indiana Jones movie. That's really cool. I'm glad you brought that up, Christopher. Thanks for that, man. All right. <clears throat> uh, see, next up. We got Matt W. who writes, uh, went to see Dune in theaters and it was amazing. Uh, whenever you hear those bagpipes played, it gave me goosebumps. I cannot wait for part two. Listen, I've mentioned this before, but, you know, Anne has never read any Dune and never saw any of the other iterations of Dune, right? So when I took her to go see the first Dune movie, it was a completely clean slate for her, Right. <clears throat> she went in completely clean. And when the movie ended and the credits started to roll, I turned to her and I said, so what did you think? Not knowing what she's going to say. And she said, it's my favorite movie ever. Like, except for Tom Hanks is big, which that will always be her number one favorite movie is Tom Hanks is big. But she said for that, I think this is now my favorite movie. Totally shocked me. Completely shocked me that she thought that. But yeah, I love the movie myself too. And uh, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. All right. Next up, uh, Dr. Stinky writes, do you feel like breaks from watching movies for about a week is a good thing? I don't like taking breaks, but I but I do. I guess film burnout, all love. Um, I mean, <clears throat> I think taking a break from anything can be good. I mean, you know, except for breathing. Um, I mean, I think... In general, taking a break from anything can be good. I don't feel that way about movies. Now, listen, I remember back when I was running things at AMC, I remember there was a month there where I saw a movie like 28 out of the 31 days of the month, that that month. And I know Anne was getting upset because she didn't want to go to all the movies I had to go to. And then she was getting kind of frustrated how many evenings I was out of the house. And this is back when I kind of like, oh, I run AMC, so I got to go cover every single movie and stuff like that. And, and and I got, I was getting burned out on going out every night to go see a movie. But I think that's different from what you're asking about, like going in a, a complete week without watching a movie. I, I don't think, I don't have that. <clears throat> um, I, I don't, I don't have that. 
I mean, I don't want to go to a movie theater every single night of the week, but I've never felt the need to like take a week off of a movie because I mean, ultimately, what are you doing? You're like sitting in a chair and watching. <coughs> Pardon me. So I think I'm fine with that myself. But hey, listen, we all have different sensitivities. So maybe for you, it could be a good thing to do that. All right. Thanks a lot for the question, Dr. Stinky. Next up, we got Michael Thompson. Uh, and Michael Thompson writes, I just witnessed some of the best storytelling WWE has done in years, and the show in question had no matches at all, just an hour of talking. I think Michael might have said that in the live chat earlier before the show. Yeah, I've never seen it, but everybody is raving about this press conference. That they completely pulled it off, that Ray was saying they completely nailed it. Again, I haven't seen it myself, but I'm going to have to watch it at some point. All right. Next up, Gray Fox just sends in a super chat to be supportive. Thank you, Gray Fox. Appreciate that very much, man. Uh, next up, we've got Dwayne Fernandez who writes. Uh, by the way, people are asking. Uh, yes, somebody asked me. Yes, I have turned off the super chats. They they were turned off a, a little bit ago. Okay, <clears throat> Dwayne Fernandez writes. I don't get how the four execs of WB made the decision to write off Coyote without watching the finished uh, the finished version. Uh, shouldn't they watch it to see if? could make them money before deciding on a write-off. No, not necessarily, um, because you have people working at Warner Brothers who are ex who are experts in that area about assessing the return potential of a film. Like, I remember when I was at AMC, um, even at AMC, we had a guy, uh, <coughs> an executive at AMC Theaters, who was in acquisition, it, and it was his job his job, he was the expert on looking at a movie, looking at all the parameters of the movie, and then making a judgment about how much he believed that movie could make. And it was spooky how good he was at that job. Like, they know all the math. They know how to break it all down. I mean, he wasn't always 100% right, but 95% of the time, he was like, bang on the money. So... Um, so AMC theaters relied on that guy to do his job. David Zaslav is the CEO of the company. He doesn't have to see the movie and make that determination. He's got people who just focus as experts in that area who tell him if they believe this movie can make money. And if your top people who do this for a living and this is their job tell you this movie can't make money, then you'd be a really bad executive to think you know more than they do in that one area and go. So if they're telling them they don't think the movie can make money, and listen, again, I want to emphasize this because this is a truth you can't get around. Before the news came out that Warner Brothers was pulling the plug on this movie, nobody was talking about this movie. Nobody. I've got people writing into me talking about the upcoming Adam Sandler sci-fi film with Paul Dano as the, the space spider. I got people writing into me talking about that and asking me about that. I got people writing into me and talking about like all different types of movies. Nobody ever wrote in to ask about Coyote versus Acme. And, and I think that sucks because I was personally looking forward to the movie and I did make those topics. I made up topics to talk about on the show. You know, whenever there was a little bit of news, we would talk about Coyote versus Acme. I mean, not a ton, admittedly, but we, we brought it up because I was interested in this movie. But nobody else was. So for nobody to talk about this film, 
and then it gets canceled. Well, it could have made money. Nah, it wasn't going to make any money because nobody was buzzed about it. Nobody was talking about it. It's it's just that's just a fact. Nobody was talking about it. So I I think whatever department heads at Warner Brothers whose job it was to look at a film and assess about how much they think it can make at the box office. I don't see any reason to doubt them when they say we don't think this thing could make $40 million at the box office. I, I don't see any reason to doubt them uh, because nobody was talking about it beforehand. It's just kind of the way it is. All right. <clears throat> Next up, Alec Andrew writes, is Maxine coming? Is that the, um, is that the uh, follow-up to X? Is that what Maxine is? Help me out in the live chat, guys. I'm not, I'm not really clear on that. But is that what Maxine is? Now, the reason I'm not really clear is because um, okay, so Haunted Autumn is saying yes, that that's that's what it was. It's it's that okay, so so you had X and then you had Pearl, and I admittedly didn't watch Pearl because I walked out of X. I was bored to death with X. And <clears throat> I understand. Hey, all of us have movies every year that everybody loves, but that didn't work for us. Pearl was that movie for me. Sorry, not Pearl. X was that movie for me. I was bored to death with X. And you know me, I love filthy. Bring on the filthy. I love filthy. And X had some good doses of filthy in it. And it still bored me to death. Again, I, I'm not I'm not saying other people shouldn't love it. I know a lot of people love this movie. Awesome. But I actually walked out of it um, about three quarters of the way through. And so I didn't watch Pearl. And so clearly I'm not keeping my eye, eye on Maxine. But from what I understand, Maxine is coming. <clears throat> and uh, it, it's it's I don't know what their release strategy is going to be, but it is coming from what I understand. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Dwayne Cinema who writes, Tomorrow is game day, for me at least. I'll finally get to watch my my G, my girlfriend experience, Last of Us Part 2, for the very first time. Is that what that is? Anyway, uh, she's excited. Oh, your girlfriend is excited. Okay, she's excited, uh, comma, worried, comma, yet intrigued to find out what happens. Woo you know what it's going to be? <clears throat> now, what happens... And I won't say what happens, but what happens happens very early in the game of Last of Us 2. But Craig Mazin has already said that they're basically going to stretch the story of Last of Us Part 2 into two seasons of The Last of Us. Which means I don't think what happens in the game very early is going to happen until past the midway point of season two. <clears throat> this, I think. Did any of you guys, some of the best videos on YouTube, and have any of you guys seen these, are people filming their friends watching Game of Thrones, the Red Wedding episode. Have you guys, any of you guys ever seen those YouTube videos of people filming their friends? Like people who read the books and knew what was about to happen, and their friends are watching Game of Thrones, and they film their friends. It's some of the best videos on YouTube. It's like the reason YouTube exists. But I think this has the potential to be the next Red Wedding. I'm not saying it will be, but I, I think this 
has the potential to be the next Red Wedding for a lot of people watching The Last of Us. All right, it's going to be cool to see how that all goes. All right, uh, let's see. Carlos Wilde writes, Hey, John, if they were going to make John Campia show the movie, who's being cast to play you? Uh, who's going to play Chris? Uh, who's getting cast <coughs> as Ray and Jonathan? Uh, thanks for the show. I watch every day. Well, thank you so much for the cast. I, I have no idea who would be cast. I'm not, I'm not going to touch that with a hundred foot pole. Not going to touch it with a hundred foot pole. Um, I have no idea who would play Chris. You'd need a dynamic actress with a lot of range, maybe an Emma Stone. Uh, but as far as everything else, I am not going to touch that with a hundred foot pole. It would also be a movie that would suffer the fate of Batgirl and Coyote versus Acme. It would be axed before it ever got to theaters. And then whatever executive greenlit John Campia show, the movie will get fired and uh, no other studios will come forward to buy the rights to it and it will just die on a shelf somewhere. So that's what will happen to that movie, uh, Carlos. But thank you for asking, man. All right. <clears throat> Raymond Verrata writes, Ryan Reynolds posted a boss logic pick of Randall Park as Mr. Fantastic. Uh, Ryan is great at social media, but I'm thinking this for Deadpool, uh, Deadpool, not uh, IF uh, or if you mean. Yeah. Which by the way, I'm looking forward to if, um, by the way, in case you guys did not know, um, we have an interview with Boss Logic. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, yeah, here, here it is. We did a, an interview for, um, this is a, the clip of it, for Designing Hollywood that we did with, uh, that I did from this office, actually, with Boss Logic. The man is an absolute fan community treasure. It's a really interesting interview hearing from the insights that he has and stuff like that. I would 100% recommend go to our designing Hollywood playlist and uh, find this interview uh, that we did with boss logic. He's, he's absolutely phenomenal. Anyway, <coughs> that being said, this whole Randall park thing that they've been doing for if, and everything like that has just been absolute gold. If you haven't seen the video yet, where Randall Park is pretending to be John Krasinski directing if and all that kind of stuff. It, it's a callback to an ancient old joke on The Office, which is just so perfect. Absolutely love it. You guys should go check it out. All right. <clears throat> Thanks for that, Raymond. Next up, uh, Andy Tew writes, just watched Dune Part 1. Loved it. Went to Google to see if Villeneuve won for Best Director to find he wasn't even nominated. Hope he gets recognition for Part 2. Uh, if it's of equal quality. Yeah, I think, I think he will. Um, I didn't even realize he didn't get nominated for Dune part one. That is crazy. Cause the direction in it is fantastic. Maybe the Academy kind of looked at it as that it's just a part of a bigger thing. And he went for that. Cause Peter Jackson like didn't win best director until the Lord of the Rings films were done. Right. Once Dune part or once Lord of the Rings three came out, return of the King, uh, that's when they gave him his Academy Award. So maybe they need Dune Part 2 to be done. I don't know. <clears throat> just just a thought. Maybe that'll happen. But yeah, the job he's done with this, I don't think... Rob and I were talking about it, and Rob's a big fan of the Dune books. But like Rob and I agree, it's it's nearly impossible to imagine anybody doing more justice to that Dune story than what Denis Villeneuve did. It was just incredible. So... Yeah, there's that. All right, next up. 
We got Devin Lida who writes, I finally saw Poor Things back in January. Loved it. It's a great movie. It's a weird movie, but it's great. Uh, did anyone see it in captions? I was taken aback by it. Uh, bring home the filthy birds. Yeah, listen. We're just talking about X. <laughs> Poor Things got a lot of filthy. For those of you who have not seen it, Poor Things got a lot of filthy. Uh, Emma Stone is probably going to win um, her second Oscar for this. It's nominated for Best Picture. I don't think it'll win Best Picture. It could win for Screenplay. Um, it's a it's a wild movie, man. It's it's really a wild movie that I was surprised by, um, but also freaking delighted by. I mean, I just I thought it was really fun. I thought. The, I, I thought the observations it makes about life were really good. Emma Stone's absolutely fantastic. Mark Ruffalo's always great. Uh, Willem Dafoe is always fantastic. But yeah, it's, if you haven't seen it, I mean, listen, you've got to be okay with the filthy. If you're not okay with the filthy, if the filthy doesn't work for you, you may want to take a pass. Also, not a movie to watch with your younger kids. Also, not a movie to watch with your mom. Uh, that being said... It's a great movie. Uh, check it out if you have not checked it out yet. All right. <clears throat> Next up. Red One Real Talk writes, have you had a chance to see Donald Glover's Mr. and Mrs. Smith show? Really enjoying the fresh approach they took with this story. I have watched the first four episodes. And I quite—I was talking about this on the John Campus show the other day. I quite like it. But I like it because I loved Atlanta. Like, I really liked Atlanta. And Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the Amazon show is very much Atlanta, right? It's got the same producers, same director, a lot of the same writers, all that kind of stuff. So it feels like Atlanta. It feels nothing like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And I personally think that's why some people have a problem with the show, and it's understandable, because you're going to call this show Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's a movie iteration, or it's a TV show iteration of, of the old movie with uh, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. So you go in there expecting it to be a certain thing. This show is nothing like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the movie. The premise is completely different. Like, everything is wildly different in the movie. It's nothing like the movie. As a matter of fact, they sh never should have called this show Mr. and Mrs. Smith. <clears throat> it never should have even been called Mr. and Mrs. Smith. They should have given it a completely different title. That being said, I am enjoying it so far because I liked Atlanta. I think it's really funny. Uh, I like the characters very much. So Anne and I are, are working our way through it. So I'll look forward to watching the rest of it. All right, uh, let's see. James Germain writes, Hey, John, got to say WWE, throw me in a tizzy. Again, I have not seen, I have not seen this press conference, but everybody is saying uh, it's, it's really, really good. Um, okay, next up, we've got, where are we at here? We're at uh, Red Arrow 1316 who writes, According to the rap, Zaslav never watched Coyote versus Acme. Yeah, that's been established. And still intent on deleting it honestly sounds like a terrible move. No, it's not. It's a terrible move if you don't care about math and if you don't care about business. David Zaslav doesn't need to watch it. He's got people that watch it and then tell him how much money it will lose if they try to put it out in theaters and that they are financially in a better position if they just write it off. Now, if some other studio... Every, nobody is bringing this up. Everybody's ignoring this point. Warner Brothers made it available for other studios and said, hey, 
Just give us what we paid for it. We're not looking for a big profit. You don't have to pay us $100 million for it. We spent 70 to 75. Give us 70 to 75, and we'll call it a deal. And nobody else wants it. Like, you can say, oh, Warner Brothers is making a mistake. The fact that every other studio is passing on it proves they're not making a mistake. The fact that any studio that is expressing interest is lowballing the offer because they know it's not worth it. Like, I hate to say it, but everybody's just avoiding this, this inconvenient truth that every other studio in the business is passing on it <clears throat> for what Warner Brothers spent on it. So Warner Brothers is like, listen, if we're going to take a big loss on this, then we're going to take a loss by writing it off. We're not going to take a loss by giving it to a competitor who's going to lowball us and give us way less than what we paid for it so they can benefit from it. That's not good business. Um, yeah, I'd like everybody, like, again, you can say everything you want to say. At the end of the day, the fact that no other studio is willing to put up the money to take it 100% proves that, um, 100% proves that Warner Brothers is right, or at least that 100% proves that every other studio agrees with them, that this movie is not worth this much money that you guys spent to make it, and you're going to take a loss on it. So they're going to take a loss on it. All right. <clears throat> uh, let's see here. Next up, uh, we've got um, Campion merch. I'd wear a shall we shirt. Is, do I say shall we? A lot. I know there are certain things I say a lot. Like, I I say all the time, if you did a drinking game in a show for every time I've said, we'll have to wait and see. Right? Uh, if, I, if you took a shot every time I said, we'll have to wait and see, you would get very inebriated very quick. Or if you took a shot whenever I said, um, with that down, but I do that on purpose. Did you guys know this? I... There's a method to my to my badness. So how I end every topic saying, with that down, and let us know what you think. And with that down, the reason I do that at the end of every topic is it becomes an audio cue for our editors who are cutting up the segments so they know exactly the sound wave form of saying, when I go, with that down, it creates a certain sound wave form. So you don't even have to hear the show. You can see exactly in the audio form in the timeline when I say that and our editors know exactly when to cut the segment. So there's a little bit of method to that. But uh, yeah, if you took a shot for every time I said, we'll have to wait and see, you would get very drunk very fast. All right. Amin writes, <clears throat> I'm actually super excited for Usher this weekend. You looking forward to it or not? Hoping we get some fun surprises. I am. Anne and I went to go see Usher in concert in Las Vegas. And I don't know if I still have it here. Let me let me see if I can pull it up. I don't know if I have it or not. But yeah, Anne uh, and I went to go see Usher. I'm going to scroll through my timeline here and see if I can find it. <clears throat> uh, there's Anne at the Jonas Brothers. By the way, I'll show this here. Have you guys seen this thing with Anne of the Jonas Brothers? I'll bring it up. Look, Joe, Anne's filming. She's in the very front, and Joe Jonas, who she's got a celebrity crush on, comes on and totally, if you watch closely, he totally looks over at Anne doing her thing. There's Anne at the Jonas concert, and Joe totally looks down and watches her dancing. He's like, ah! She totally freaked out. Yeah, she loved that. Anne loves the Jonas Brothers, man. 
She totally loves the Jonas Brothers. But let me see if I can find this. Maybe I didn't put it on his. Oh, I did put it on Instagram. Here's us. This was before the concert even started. Like there was a DJ uh, just playing music before the concert started. And like everybody, everybody in the place was like up on their feet and dancing. And if you're saying, John, were you the only white dude there? I might have been the only white dude there. I'm not sure. I can't say that mathematically, but I don't care. It was a lot of fun. Let me tell you, man. Usher puts on a great <coughs> Usher puts on a great show. I'm not pretending I'm the biggest Usher fan in the world, but I've listened to a lot of his music, but he puts on one hell of a show. Now, at this concert, part of the set was they bring out this huge like seven-story stripper pole. And let's call them clothing challenged dancers. Yes, clothing challenged dancers would come out and like ride the seven story stripper pole uh, while he's doing his music. Now, I'm not so sure that they're going to do that part of his show at Super Bowl. It would certainly be very uh, a big talking point <laughs> if, if they did that at the Super Bowl. I don't think they will. But yes, nonetheless, I am very excited to see Usher's halftime show. Uh, at the Super Bowl. And I think he's going to probably pull out some surprises. All right. Last question of the day comes off from Raf Todorov, who writes, Aegon's conquest to me is what Shogun is to John. I wonder if they will show us the Targaryen family leaving Valeria before the doom. Listen, I, I get why. Listen, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for this show. I think this show sounds absolutely bonkers good. Uh, the idea is great. The fact that they're getting the guy who wrote on the Batman and the upcoming The Batman 2 makes me very, very hopeful for it. I think that's great. So it'll be good to see. But of course, speaking of Shogun, it's coming out soon. Shogun is my, I don't know that I've ever been more excited <clears throat> for uh, for a show. But uh, yeah, actually, somebody in the live chat is saying John at a Wu-Tang Clan show would be a bit vanilla. You know what? I, I'll do one better. <clears throat> When I was younger, much younger, <coughs> I was really into hip hop and stuff. I was a break dancer. I know that's hard for people to wrap their head around, but I was actually a professional break dancer. Me and the crew actually got paid to go and do gigs dancing anyway. And then people still hear that today. They got like, what? Like they look at me and they go, professional break dancer. It's true. I was. Anyway, I'm not saying I was the best, but. I was, regardless. So I was really into that stuff at the time. And me and my cousin uh, went over to Buffalo to, uh, oh yeah, TJ, TJ Perry, you're right. My, my, my crew was called the Zodiac Crew and we each had a different Zodiac sign name and my dance, my dancer name was Pisces. That was, that was my name. You're right. I'm surprised you remember that. Anyway. So me and my cousin drove over the, the border to go to Buffalo, which was really close to where we lived, to go see Public Enemy. Mm, Chuck D and Flava Flav, man. So we went over the border and uh, went to a Chuck D and Flavor Flav uh, to watch Chuck D and Flavor Flav do the thing. And it was awesome. Flavor Flav just with the clock around his neck being the hype man for Chuck D. And uh, it was it was pretty a pretty awesome show, 
But yeah, we 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 realized about 10 minutes through the show because somebody looked at us and goes, are you lost? Because <laughs> we were we were like the only white dudes there. But it's so funny. This dude came up and goes, you lost? He wasn't being mean. Like, he was being funny. He wasn't being mean at all. He goes, you lost? It's like, no, nah, man, I, 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 I just love Public Enemy. It's like, all right. So that was that was a pretty fun one. That was a good one. Anyway, and guys, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making the show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in those super chat questions, number one, because you gave us fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it and all of us involved with the show. Thank you guys so very much for your support. Uh, don't forget to come on back and join us again next week. Uh, Rob will be joining me on Monday. Guys, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Big special thank you out to Chris Carr uh, for being on the show with us here today. And that'll do it for me, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. Until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.